Hi, everybody. It's Michelle from Studio City Now. And today my guest is a very talented James Lee Stanley. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. Are you, are you asking because of my, uh, my cancer operation last fall or just in general? Just in general, but um, okay. let's I'm do the great. first. You're recovering from that? Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, yes, I sing every day. And uh, they told me it would be a year before I got my voice back. But I did a concert with Severin Brown on the 3rd of January, which was less than eight weeks after the operation. So I, <clears throat> I think you were there, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think I'm singing okay. And, <laughs> and, and I play a couple hours every day, you know, just to, to keep my... I, I call my pal Timothy, uh, Timothy B. Schmidt from the Eagles. Timothy oh. had this, the same operation. And uh, he called me immediately after, after surgery and said, you know, I'll walk you through everything. And, and he's been a fabulous, fabulous friend and, and comfort. I talked to him the other day and he, he said that it takes about a year and that, that you do lose some of your, uh, your range. But so far I haven't lost, I, I don't have the power that I had last fall yet, but I have all the notes. So I assume that as I gain more control of my neck, it turns out that in your neck, there are all these muscles that you use to sing. It's not just your voice, your larynx, it's actually the muscles that control your larynx. Yeah. So, and I had like 62 lymph nodes re removed and I've got this scar that goes from my ear down to my sternum and back up to my ear. So uh, I guess my body was, you know, surgically traumatized and I'm, I'm recovering from that. But I feel great. I also, you know, I work out, I, I, I work in the, I mean, I'm, I'm actually digging out a basement. So I'm, I'm moving about a ton of dirt by shovel. <laughs> so I'm in great shape. Yeah, the short answer is just fine. Thank you. <laughs> and when I saw you, it looked like you lost some weight. Yeah, well, well, my wife put me on that that uh, plant based diet because it's supposed to help rebuild your immune system. She felt that my immune system had been comp uh, compromised by this uh, HPV. You know, this human paloma virus. Right. Yeah, that's what I. Uh, that's what. I got, and that's what gave me the cancer. And by the way, kids, you get it from oral genital contact, so be careful. Uh, and uh, <laughs> nice to know, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of too late for us that we should have. Someone should have told us forty years ago, you know. Well, <clears throat> in any event, uh, uh, I, I'm fine, and I'm working hard, and uh, and let's go to another question. Yes, perfect. <laughs> Wasn't quite sure how we were going to get off the first subject. How's the music been uh, going? I mean, I met you, I think it was at the 20 year or the 10 year house concert anniversary. Oh, for uh, Russ and Julie? Yeah. I think it was the 10th. Yeah, I, I just don't remember because I'm getting old. And I've been a fan of It could sets. happen to anyone to sit there. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, so. From what I remember, yeah, I, your favorite. Someone just sent me. Pardon me. My favorite what? One of your. No, you go. What did you say? One of your favorite songs. One of my dogs barked. Is. Um, da 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 da. But it's all, in the game. <laughs> oh. Is yeah, I, I mean, I didn't write that song. You know, I just it was actually written by. Uh, uh, Charles Dawes, who was the vice president 
under Calvin Coolidge. Ah, that was it. But from what I remember, you used was a, to was a guy named Carl. Uh, Carl, oh dear, I can't remember Carl's last name. Ah. But in any event, the two of them wrote the song. I think in the in the late twenties or the early thirties. Mm-hmm. Way before our times. Yes, but I always loved the song, and uh, and so I I decided to work it up on one guitar. Mm-hmm. Just I think I was out in the road with Peter Tork, and uh, and we were he was playing a song called "Till Then," and we were like sitting around you know in, in a hotel room somewhere talking about all the old songs we loved. And I said, gee, there's a song when I was a kid that I really loved and I played all the time. And I, matter of fact, it turned into a, a bit that I used to do about uh, about listening to that song because I, I got it when I was about 10 years old. I got the, the little 45 mm-hmm. and I literally played it. If I was in my room, my little tiny suitcase box record, 45 record player was there and I was playing that song. My father got pretty tired of hearing it <laughs> yeah so i turned it into this long bit but i won't do it for you now because it's like 15 minutes but in any event uh i remember that song and i brought it up and i and i went out that night and discovered that i could play it and then oh i know where it was it was in virginia beach because my i know how it came up my high school girlfriend came to the i hadn't seen her in 50 years and she or something not so but 40 years anyhow mm-hmm. and she she uh, came up and, and she looked fantastic. And she asked me if I was going to sing our song. And I was going, hammer, hammer, our song. <laughs> <laughs> My God, I lived in San Francisco in the 60s. <laughs> the fact I remembered her was amazing, you know. But in, but in any event, uh, I said, I don't know. And I went in the dress room. And that's when I, uh, that's when I played it to, to just to see if I could remember it. And I not only remembered it, but I, I didn't even have to. I didn't have to work it up. I simply did it. And I, so I went out on stage and sang it and dedicated it to her and everybody in the audience went, oh, you know, and that's where that came from. Oh, yeah. I remember, you know, I always remember that song because you had a story behind it. But um, like you said, we won't go into it now, except you drove your parents nuts with it. Yes. (laughs) Well, worth it. (laughs) Well, you know. So, um. They're gone. Oh, I'm sorry. So are mine. So, yeah, we're orphans. <laughs> I know. George Clooney won't adopt me. <laughs> you know what? I, I was accused of, uh, someone said that I could have, actually, when he first came on the scene, someone said I could, <laughs> I could be his brother. And then about 10 years later, someone said I could be his father. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I bear some kind of Italian DNA resemblance. I don't know. Well, I worked for Rosie. I don't see it, but yeah, I worked for Rosie. You could you could kind of be Nick's—that's his father—much younger brother. So okay, yeah, but in any event, if he ever needs a father for a movie, I'm gonna I'm gonna audition. That'd be cool. And you can write the music. That too. Although I've noticed that most of these actors take it upon themselves to, oh, I can write the music. That's why there's so much shit music in movies. Oh my God. Producers and directors and actors are all thinking that they can write music. And they can't. Uh, 
No, not if uh, Pit My Ride is the uh, Academy Award-winning song of the year. Oh, jeez. <laughs> now, I was working with a friend, and I said, I need a lyric for, it was just a riff I played. So she came up with Mr. Reagan, that tells you how long ago it was, you smack of the Antichrist. I'm like, next, <laughs> you smack of the Antichrist? <laughs> I'm not a writer, you know, but it was like, I think I can come up with something better than that. Well, I write, uh, I know that people have writing blocks, but I myself have never comprehended, I've never experienced it and I've never comprehended it because, I mean, my little cell phone has about, right now, maybe 500 or 1,000 ideas for songs and stories in there. Mm -hmm. And, and when I, you know, when I, when I get time, downtime, I, I go through that and pick out the, the gems from what occurred to me and I turn them into songs. So it's, it's like, I don't know. So what are your influences? Oh gosh. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about that a lot as I, as I was playing, uh, I, when I practice, you know, I use a looping box. So frequently with my songs, I'll just I'll throw in a verse and chorus in the looping box and then play some lead over it you know mm -hmm. and i realized that uh like peter was very much into the torque peter torque was very much into the blues and he learned all these blues scales you know yeah and and i can certainly play them it isn't that they're uh they're arcane or mysterious but i find that i usually choose different notes and i was listening to uh uh weissenberg playing debussy the other day on uh, i have a beautiful recording called Weissenberg Plays Debussy. And it's him on solo piano playing all this Debussy stuff. And I realized that I use those scales. When I play lead guitar and when I write songs, I tend to not go into to the blues so much, but I go into the French Impressionist kind of thing. So my, my leads are very different than, uh, than mo well, you know, because rock and roll came out of out of the blues, you know? So most of the most of the songs are influenced uh, by the blues. And I certainly have an influence. I mean, how could I not be influenced by them? But I also was very influenced by Ravel and Debussy. I, the first time I ever heard them, I was floored. I mean, my father used to play uh, Claire de Lune on a chromatic harmonica when I was a little boy. Oh, wow. And, and, uh, and he would, be, I, and I loved it. I just, I just love those those scales and that kind of, those kind of relationships. So I suppose we can say Debussy and Ravel, mm -hmm. and we can certainly say uh, because I'm 74. I, I was, I was there listening to crap rock and roll when, the, when the Kingston Trio came out and and uh, changed me to folk music, and I was there when the Beatles came out and changed me from folk music to, actually. Yeah, folk music to rock and Dylan. When Dylan went showed up, I was influenced by him because of his the depth of his writing and the uh, and the freedom with which he 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 wrote. He brought he brought an expansion to lyric, lyricism that didn't exist before because the 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 writers the like the Brill Building even before the Brill Building the Great American Songbook they were very much uh, very tight writing. You know, mm -hmm. when something rhymed, the words 
the words had to fall in exactly the same same way, like uh, blue moon. You saw me standing alone without a dream in my heart, without a love of my own. And the next verse has exactly the same rhythm. And that was the way you wrote songs. And it is a very difficult way to write. It's a very, requires enormous discipline to find exactly the right word with the accent on the right syllable to, to blend with the, with the melody that you've created. Yeah. But Dylan just went, I'll just go as long as I want, say whatever I want. And, I'll, and, and very long rhyme schemes. And that was, at first, people don't realize now what he did because he broke the mold. He shattered the, uh, he shattered the mosaic, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was a big influence. Although I tend to, to more employ the uh, Great American Songbook type of writing, you know? I, I like the tight thing, but now I sometimes, it's just as an exercise, we'll write something where instead of trying to make every single thing fit like bricks in a wall, I will just say what I mean and then figure out how to sing it so that it works within the framework of the melody, you know? Like there's oh, a song that's... of mine called uh, Do As You're Told. And I and I got I actually got that the idea for writing like that from Michael Smith, who writes conversationally, and Joni Mitchell, who writes conversationally. She just makes it work, and yeah. she makes it work brilliantly, you know. And and I never wrote like that, so I thought I would write like that, you know, just because it opens up another another whole creative uh, facet in, in your own inside your own creative world. So, wow. Well, you have um, you definitely have an impress impressive amount of albums out too. What thirty something to that effect? Thirty four, I think. Thirty four, I believe. Wow. Yeah. Well. Well, you know, when, when, I mean, when I first came to Hollywood, I spent. I came here in nineteen sixty nine, right out of the Air Force, and uh, within I think six months, I was a staff songwriter for uh, Bones Howe, who was the engineer producer of the. Mamas and Papas, and the, I mean, it was actually Lou Adler was the producer of Mamas and Papas, but Bones was the engineer. And then Bones was the engineer producer for the Association and the Turtles and Tom Waits and uh, Fifth Dimension. And you know, in any event, I wrote for him for a year, and then I wrote for E.H. Morris for three years, mm-hmm. I think, or, or else vice versa. I can't remember now. All I know is I, I came there as you know and got a job writing. And as I created the songs, uh, a friend of mine said, you should be a, a, an artist. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to be a songwriter. He said, no, no, you should be an artist. And he actually contacted a, a, a record label that he knew in Chicago. The president of the label was down in Malibu for, I think it was, uh, it might have been Easter week. And I think it was, it was Easter week. And, and the, he found that guy and he jumped on the hood of his car and he wouldn't get off until the guy agreed to listen to a, a little uh, reel of tape of my songs. <laughs> so, so I guess he put it in his suitcase and he went back to Chicago. And then uh, within, within a month or two, they opened up the offices in uh, Wood Nickel Records in Los Angeles. Wood Nickel Records was owned by Jerry Weintraub, who managed... Oh. Sinatra and 
and Dylan and them, you know, and, and so it was Gold and these guys, Jim Golden and uh, Bill Trout, Bob Monaco and, and Jerry owned this record label. And they opened up an office in LA and Jim Golden finally listened to the tape. This would have been about June or July. And, uh, and he called me up and I went in and, and signed a deal. So I had a record deal, you know, that, and Wood Nickel was part of RCA. So I guess because, because Weintraub had so much clout, I wore RCA because of John Denver. Oh, yeah. All uh, right. Yeah. So, so, uh, although at the, actually, no, that would be about right. I guess Denver started, started getting famous about 71. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, I think so. With leaving on a jet plane. Oh yeah, although well, that was even earlier. That was on. Uh, that was Peter. That Paul was in 1969. Peter Paul Mary did that song in 1969 on an album called 1700. So early, early 1970. But in any event, uh, it was on Wooden Nickel. I mean, it was on RCA, and I got you know I made three albums for them in 18 months, and I wrote all the songs, and uh, lost my wife and my home in the in the middle of it because when I wasn't doing an album, I was on the road, and and she went, you know, I was. I was planning on having a mate, not a uh, not a phone buddy, you know. And actually, back then, a phone call cost more than a hotel room, so I didn't call that often. So anyhow, after I didn't get uh, after those three albums, and I couldn't find them, the distribution was very poor, and so I I went to the label and and uh, and I got off the label, mm-hmm. and then for the next six years I had no label, and I just played live, but but I. I was fortunate enough and uh, and I guess talented enough to get to open up for and do tours with uh oh my goodness Poco and Dionne Warwick and uh I played with everybody. Yeah. It was it was just amazing how I how I got all the uh, Leo Kaki, I did a lot of dates with Leo. I did a lot of dates with Bonnie Ray with Nicolette Larson with uh uh Robin Trower from from uh, Pro Call Harem. I mean, I, <laughs> I played for everybody. You know, I played. The, I was the opening act for that, those six years, and I had no product to sell anybody. And so, in 1979, I refinanced my house, and I made an album in San Francisco, and it cost me about forty grand. And then uh, I sold it to a company in L.A., and they never paid me. And uh, and I lost my, I had to sell my home because I couldn't afford to live in it anymore. Oh gosh. I'm and I sorry. moved into a guy's, that's all right. You know, I moved into a guy's house in uh, a room in a guy's house in North Hollywood, right next to a donut shop. So I went from having this big, beautiful home on, on half an acre in Santa Cruz to living in one room in a little, little shitty house in North Hollywood. <laughs> Next to donut shop. <laughs> but you know what, Michelle? At that point, I decided I would never, never uh, uh, go pay all this money to be to, have, to record in a studio. I thought from now on, I, I will build my own studio mm-hmm. somehow. And that's what I did. I slowly put together uh, legitimate recording equipment. And by 1970, let's see. Yeah, in 19... 1982, maybe I, I I I bootlegged my first three albums from RCA and put them out as a as a pirated record. Called, <laughs> well, they wouldn't sell them to me, so I thought, you know what? You won't sell them to me. I have a great idea. Screw you! And I just stole them. I knew I liked you. 
And, and uh, you know, I mean, I wasn't, I, I figured that, that I wasn't selling enough to where they would even notice. And if they actually cared and came after me, the press would, the publicity would be fabulous. So, I mean, <laughs> I was, you know, I wasn't worried. So I put out that record and then I got an offer from Tacoma Records to put out a record, uh, which was Racing the Moon. And, I, and those were all demos that I had recorded, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in various studios and in, in, no, it was just various studios. I would like go in there at midnight and record it late in the morning. You know, people, people would let me do that. Wonderful, generous people. And then uh, after Racing the Moon is when I, I bought my four track, which turned into an eight track, which turned into three ADATs, which turned into a, you know, $40,000 mixing console and, uh, and computerized everything. And I just, Took me three years to pay off that uh, console, but I was lucky because I got on the road with Stephen Wright. I was his opening act for three years, and we we played about a hundred dates a year. I made serious money there for a minute, and I took the money and built the studio. And then I've been able to I record an album. It takes me about two years to uh, to write and record an album that I think is worthy of being released. I don't record everything. I mean, I don't release everything that I write. Uh-huh. I, I've noticed that when I make an album, I mean, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but when I make an album, every song on that album has to be as good as every other song. And and so uh, I'll write a lot of songs and go, you know, this one just, I mean, it's a nice song, but I'm too old to be pretty good. You know, it has to be really wonderful or else I'll just shelve it. So that's what I do. I write a lot. And then every two years I put out a record and I also decided uh, there was a guy helped me with the label uh-huh. and he, he suggested that, I mean, in terms of, you know, an attorney offering me uh, advice and also running interference and doing for, fielding booking calls and all kinds of stuff. In any event, he said uh, that I should do an album with, because it takes me two years to make a record. And he thought you should put out a record every year. Yeah. So, so he said, you, you should, uh, maybe you can do a duet album with somebody else. And so I started to do an album with Michael Smith. But before we finished it, because Michael and I were both on the road all the time, very difficult to schedule us. Uh, in the meantime, I started producing Peter Tork. Oh, and, and I'm sorry, when I started my own label, after a little while, I got distribution with a company called uh, Chameleon. And after, I think, less than a year, or maybe a year with Chameleon, Chameleon was picked up by Capital. So all of a sudden, my own little... Uh, Vanity label Beachwood Recordings was distributed by Capitol Records, so I put out a lot of records on all my friends because I just said, you know, I'll help you, and I didn't take any money from them. I just put out their records and let them have the money if it, any was generated, uh, and that, and not much was generated. I mean, you need a lot of money to to make a record a hit in this country because it has to do with with spending money, not with quality. You know? Oh uh, yeah. In any way. Uh, yeah, I, I got. Uh, I started putting out a record every every other year as a duet record. I did, I did a duet album with Peter Tork, which we called Two Man Band. Then uh, one of my solo albums, and then Michael Smith and I put out Two Man Band Two, mm-hmm. and then uh, one of my solo albums, and then Peter Tork and I put out Once Again, which was our second duet album, and then another one of my albums, and then. John Badroff and I did All Wooden Stones, where we took Rolling Stones songs and changed them, made them sound like Crosby, Stills, and Nash. <laughs> I, and that became, yeah, yeah, that All Wood End became, became a franchise. I've done uh, 
All Wood and Stones, All Wood and Stones 2, both with John Batdorf. I've done All Wood and Doors with Cliff Eberhardt. And I just finished All Wood and Lead with Dan Navarro. Oh, and wow. That, all be coming out uh, the end of the summer, I think, the beginning of maybe Labor Day weekend or something. Yeah, I so, heard the Stones one with you and John, John Batdorf, what, about a year or two ago? Oh, well, actually, I think we did it in 2004, 2005. But but once a year, we go out on tour because people keep asking. <laughs> you know, here's what we did. John and I, you know, we're, we're older dudes and, and, and we have such a backlog of, of material of our own that we like to go out and do our own shows. You know, mm -hmm. that's what we like. I like to do my shows. He likes to do his. But we did make this album that, that XM called the record of the year. And uh, and it's all these Rolling Stones songs done, as I said, like Cosby Stills and Nash. So when someone asks us, uh, I just say, we want this this much money. If you do that, we'll go out. And and John and I are both on the same page there. If they give us enough money, we will put the act back together and we'll go back out. You know, so that's you saw us on the, the last time that happened when somebody, you know, offered us and we do it. We'll do it like, you know, seven dates in 14 days or something. And 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 that's all. So I guess that's another reason the concerts are successful because they're they don't happen often, and uh, and they're really good. John is a wonderful singer and player, and and I'm no slouch, so it's pretty good. <laughs> I saw you at a house concert. It was at Lois's house. That's right. Yeah, that's the last time John and I played together. Mm -hmm. Last time I saw John. Uh, yeah, he has a new album out. I think it's called Summer or Summertime or something like that. Yeah, incredible talent. He hasn't sent it to me, which is odd because I have a radio show on the Folk Music Notebook every Tuesday night at uh, seven o'clock. Oh, and I and I simply play my friends. <laughs> it's Folk Music like Notebook. Tonight, it, it, on the Folk Music Notebook .com. you just go on there and it's seven o'clock on Tuesday night, and you can download the app for free and you can have it on your phone. And oh. uh, and I play and and tonight it's on again tonight, and I'm playing. All Michael Smith the whole hour because because Michael is is uh, is dying of, of of liver and colon cancer. Oh, God. and he's in hospice. So yeah, I'm so sorry yeah. to hear that. Yesterday I had to drive down to Valencia from up here in the mountains into Hatchaby, mm -hmm. and I listened to Michael all the way down to Valencia and all the way back. I listened to his various records. Yeah. yeah. I am going to have to YouTube him. Oh, listen, he wrote, did you, did you ever hear The Dutchman by Steve Goodman? The Dutchman's not the kind of man. Yes. Yeah, well, that's Michael's song. Uh, Spoon River Anthology, all of the riverboat gamblers are used losing their shirts. Steve Goodman made a hit out of that. That was Michael's song. Uh, he's written so many great songs. It's unbelievable. He's, he's really, I think... One uh, and in a very unique genre, you know, he's he's uh, I think he's up there with Dylan in in profundity and originality and uh, and musicality, you know. Yeah, he's really wonderful, inspiration to me my whole life. Well, I'll tell you, since um, you know, I got back into music. I don't know if you know my background, which I won't go into now, but I got back into playing, and I have horrible stage fright as I think you witnessed once. I don't remember you having stage fright, but I believe you. Oh my gosh, it, it's horrible. But um, 
I've just been so fortunate to, you know, like I've met people like you and Severin and Dan Navarro. My Dan Navarro story is so funny. Um, Cause I was over at, um, it was a meeting called noise society. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just an excuse for us to go out and drink. Yeah. And I was talking to him and I played like a riff on my guitar. And he says, oh, that's great. You know, nothing has to rhyme. Just write it down. And I said, great. Mm-hmm. And he's like, do you know what I've written? And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> so right. I went to my car and YouTubed it. And I like sat there for an hour going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Funny. And I finally mm-hmm. told him and he just thought it was the funniest thing ever. So, like I said, he's been an inspiration. You have Severin, all the other people I've met that have got me playing again and doing, well, I was doing open mics until this happened, but yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know what? It happens. Yeah. This has been a strange, uh, strange permutation. And what's, what's tragic Mm -hmm. is that there is no, there was no reason for it to impact us the way it has. It's been a complete, complete uh, cluster. Uh, mis- yeah, mishandled by by a a remarkably ignorant, stubborn, and greedy Republican Party enabling that orange turd, the worst, the worst human to ever infest our White House. In case you're wondering where I stand on this, you know, I'd like to go back in time and choke his mom. I really. Uh, I, I think this man is destroying our country, our environment, our civil rights, our our uh, consumer protections, our, you know, everything. It's just, it, it, he's like the Antichrist, you know? I want to slap his parents for not choosing better birth control. Really? And I wish there was retroactive abortion. Sorry, Pope. But yeah, I agree with you 100%. This man has destroyed us and made us the laughing stock of the world. Yeah. I mean, you know, here's what you can, here's what you can count on 100%. Whatever Republicans say, it is, it is bizarre world. It's the opposite. Make America great again. They have made America ungreat. You know, mm-hmm. voter fraud on mailing wrong. It's voter fraud. The only people they've caught doing serious voter fraud are Republicans. Everything that they accuse us of is what they are doing. It's unbelievable. I hope that anybody buys into this shit. I can't. I, I can't either. I can't believe it. I hope we get yeah. him out of the White House in November. Well, I've been studying Spanish for the last two years, just in case. <laughs> uh, I'm not lying because if 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 we leave this this criminal regime in place, you, America is over. We will not recognize what this country anymore and and i'm going to if i can't stop him i will leave um that's funny you say that because my daughter bought property in acapulco it's a land lease mm-hmm. yo hablo espanol si yo hablo espanol yo 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 espanol todos los días uh, por uh, ocho ocho ciento uh cuarenta diez and, so and seguir, it for, I'm sorry. I, I've done it uh, uh, 840 or 850 days in a row. Oh, wow. See, estudiante en mi escuela para siete, siete años. No, 
no, I said your studio. I study. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. See, my I studied it in school and I lived by the border and my oh. tenses are off, but I can understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's tricky to get, you know, to, to learn the, the real finesse of the language. It's what you need to do to do that is to go there. And, you know, living in Acapulco wouldn't be that bad. Well, as long as they have that uh, mini me orange turd in the uh, in in Brazil. Oh no, Acapulco. Sorry, I was thinking Brasilia when you said Acapulco. <laughs> no, okay, that's, that's different. Yeah, really. Although you got to watch the sun there. I went down there, and the first day I was there, I took off my shirt. I laid out in the sun for one hour, mm -hmm. one hour, because I was going to like you know slowly build up the thing. Mm -hmm. And then I went inside and and uh, and stayed out of the sun. And I woke up in the morning and I had blisters across from from clavicle to clavicle. I had a bunch of blisters. Well, you're very fair, so. so. And I'm I'm half Italian. I'm I'm a swarthy guy. I'm half Italian too. Which half? <laughs> the top half. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. The Sophia Loren half. <laughs> no. Wasn't she something? So let's. Uh, what what else did you want to ask me? Because we I, I don't know how long you like to go, but oh um, well this was getting interesting too. So let's see. How can we find you on social media? Oh, it's easy. Uh, <clears throat> my my musician page on Facebook is James Lee Stanley, and my I think I have four thousand nine hundred and ninety seven friends on uh, or my, on the other Facebook page, and I'm also on. Instagram and I'm on, you know, Twitter at James Lee Stanley and my email is James at James Lee Stanley .com, And I'm on every single uh, download site there is. And I also have a, a, a free blog that where I just talk about everything that I have learned to do in the past 60 years of, of doing this. And uh, it's free. It's called Data Musicata, D-A-T-A Music, A-T-A, Data Musicata. And it's a free uh blog site i've had it i think about one or two million hits so it's been pretty popular oh, wow i'm gonna have to check it out oh it's it's uh, there's like there's about i think it, there's about 700 articles up there also a couple of the radio shows that i i, I just started i figured out how to get them up there so i'm i'm going to archive all of my radio shows up there i've done i think i've done 32 radio shows for uh for all uh, for folk music notebook and they're all an hour long mm. so and um, oh, you know what is important? Every Thursday evening, while this pandemic is mm -hmm. on, at seven o'clock on Thursday evenings on Facebook, on my musician page on on Facebook, I stream live for fifteen minutes. I call it fifteen minutes of fame with James Lee Stanley, and I just do a, a couple of tunes and talk to people. Oh, I love it! Know, Thursday evening, what time? At seven p.m. Seven p.m. And also, uh, I am doing my uh, my first actual concert for the two blue roses uh, concert series in oregon but i'm doing it you know uh virtually from here in my studio mm -hmm. uh, on july 18th saturday july 18th and i also am going to going to give the people a uh, a tour of the studio you know yeah that i'd like so they, to see yeah so they can see the you know the equipment and the and the ambiance and, and you you know <laughs> And me, right. And I'm going to sing from, you know, I'm going to sing. I've written a bunch of new tunes. One I just finished today called Heart in Amber. I keep my heart in amber. I got the idea from looking at a photograph of the uh, 
of the little tiny insect that was trapped in amber. You ever seen that photograph on the internet? I've, I think so. It's like it's like some sort of some sort of a mosquito or a fly or something, but he's but he's stuck in amber, and you so he's you can see it clearly. This insect from you know three million years ago. Oh, and uh, perfectly perfectly preserved, uh, except that you can't access it. And I thought that it was, there was something poetic about about uh, being able to see something you couldn't touch. And I thought, what if you kept your heart in amber? Then no one could ever hurt you. Oh, I love it. It sounds kind of sad too. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, it's definitely sad because because you know the heart the heart has to be touched or you're not you're not really alive. What did Khalil Gibran say? You can if. Uh, if you don't love, if you don't open your heart, you will laugh, but not all of your laughter, and you will cry, but not all of your tears. <gasps> oh, I love that. Yeah, nice. So, well. Yeah, big things, big things for Khalil. <laughs> <laughs> I do have the prophet. <laughs> yes, who doesn't? Well, actually, I bet you there's a, two generations behind, or you know, not behind me, but in front of me, who have never even heard of them. True. And they don't know what not they're missing. Well, you know, uh, I, you listen to this, Michelle. This is an interesting thing I discovered. Uh, I was reading about, about reading and what it does for your thought process. It turns out mm-hmm. that something happens to the way your brain functions when you learn to read. Because when you learn to read... You can look at a group of letters and turn it into a picture in your head. And you can look at a picture and you can turn it into a group of letters in your head. And once you learn to do that, your brain evolves the ability to do deductive reasoning. Ah. And when you don't learn to read, you never, ever develop any real deductive reasoning skills. And, I, you know, look, look at, the, uh, at the, the far right and and they are demonstrating clearly that they do not have deductive reasoning skills. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to watch this turd, you know, do what he's doing. Mm-hmm. For for you to for people to not be alarmed, it means they're they're just not doing the math. And I think they can't do the math because the, the education in this country is pathetic. And not the teachers. The teachers are magnificent, but the the system is such that you know when they started that no student left behind, it wasn't wasn't no student will will progress without being taught. It was like we don't care whether you learn shit as long as we move you along. You know? Well, my daughter That's- is a high school math teacher. She's got her master's in education. Oh well. Wow. Yeah, the girl I couldn't keep in school, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. She has taken a hiatus from teaching because she got absolutely no backup. Right, right. And well, that's changed. Michelle, that, everything changed. Mm-hmm. The, the, I don't know how old you are. I'm 74. My generation was the, w- w- historically, without a doubt, this is not opinion, this is fact. Mm-hmm. My generation was the largest group of educated citizens in, anywhere in the world. The huge, the, the vast group of people. We all went to college, we all had good high schools. And, and we were really informed as a citizenry, and we stopped Nixon. 
we we stopped a war and we stopped Nixon. And if you look at at public education from about 1972 on, they have been doing more and more to defund it and to to strangle it because you can't lead an informed public by the nose. You can lead an ignorant public around. And I think that there was a, a determined effort by the, the powers that be to, to limit the education and to limit the access to education so that they could do what they're doing, which is present a whole bunch of, of misinformation and, and you know misleading, distracting bullshit that keeps people from from realizing that they're being screwed. Well, you and I are in the same age group. I'm a little bit younger, but not that much. Okay. And um, I look at the way I was educated. I mean, I have a double degree. So, um, you know, I was pushed in school. I couldn't go to the next grade unless I could read, I could write. Mm-hmm. Um, math. I suck at math, but I know how to do it. And I've looked at some of the lesson plans and I'm finding, God, I sound like grandma. Kids cannot write cursive. They can't add. They can't, um, just the things you and I learned. It's, It's not even being taught. No. No, there's a well. You know, well, you know, there's always been uh, a degree of uh, what do you call it? A, a degree of a, not smothering, but covering up certain things. For instance, before I studied the American Indian culture, I didn't know mm-hmm. that they were they weren't a bunch of ignorant savages living in little teepees. They had. You ever heard of the Natchez Trail? Yes. The Natchez Trail is is a trade route that went from the Great Lakes into Mexico, in, in through the South, into the South. Was... Oh, geez. Hold on a second, that's my phone. <laughs> Hello. Goodbye. <laughs> okay, I'm back. That's okay, I get like... In, in any event, the, the yeah. Indians had an, an amazing culture and 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 also an amazing uh, uh, relationship with the planet. They really understood conservation on on a profound level. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, one of the things they taught that the Indians taught each other was that when you go through the forest, you don't leave a footprint. You know, yeah. you go through the forest now, and you're finding screaming yellow zonker boxes and beer cans, and you know what I mean. This, our culture has, I mean, I think it's a stretch to call it a culture. It's more like a, a, a virus. We've destroyed what's been given to us. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote a song about that. Uh, let's see. All of our lives, yeah, how do the lines go? All of our lives, we've been told paradise resides in the heavens above. What would you do if you suddenly knew it was here with the people you love? Oh, huh? I love that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. So on that note, <laughs> though we can go on forever because you're like so fascinating and you know all this stuff. I read a lot. I read a couple of three, four books a week. Wow. I listen to the news and I read one, some one, stuff. 
Oh yeah, I I I, don't, I find television, you know, like my my wife likes it because that's where she learned to speak English. I mean, she she's from Holland and she could speak English when she got here. But watching television really helps with the language. I, I watch Spanish uh, television uh, a couple times a week just to see if I can keep up. You know, because mm-hmm. for one thing, Spanish television they they speak about a hundred words a second. It's unbelievable that anyone can speak a language as fast as they speak Spanish. I love the telenovelas, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I, you should check out uh, uh, Grand Hotel. It's a Spanish TV show. It's essentially Downton Abbey for, uh, I mean, it's like that. It's a period piece, really well written and really well acted. And uh, yeah, I, I've already seen the entire series once and I'm watching it again now because now I'm, I'm starting to get more of the Spanish, you know? Yeah, that's actually how I kept my Spanish up when I was learning it in school. Mm. But yeah, I need to start doing that again. But anyway, with that. Yeah, I've got to get to work here, actually. Me too. I've got to walk my dogs. Okay, well, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you have to do it on your own. So thank you so, so much. Big hug to you. Can't wait Thanks to see having- you again. It'll happen, I th- hopefully, before next uh, first Friday in January. Yeah, I do miss those first Fridays. Well, I think, uh, I, uh, from what I've read in history, that we haven't seen the, the second wave is going to be much more devastating than the first in terms of uh, pandemics. So be prepared for a rough ride and be prepared for a Republican Party that may try to invalidate the election. Oh, geez. He's not going to go quietly. I know that. Well, I I just, you know, GM had to recall their defective units. I don't see why we can't petition God to do the same thing. True. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you soon. Big hug to you. Okay. Yeah. Send me a link to this so I can put it up. I will. I will. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye.